are entering the Freedom Hut. One down, one to go. The Democrat debate last night was more or less what we expected. A whole bunch of crazy with some social justice rhetoric thrown into the mix. And then tonight, there'll be more candidates on the left making a mockery of themselves in front of the American people. We'll talk about what they said, what they stand for, and all the rest of what you need to know coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Man, I watched that debate last night. It was not particularly memorable, but welcome to the Buck Saxon Show. We'll talk a bit about this just because it is a a window into the decrepit soul of the American left. We got a sense of what they stand for, who they are. Uh, on the upside, before I get into the de- the degree, the depths of crazy to which we were uh, forced to endure. Before I get to that, I'll say I think that uh, Delaney and uh, Gabbard looked looked pretty normal, right? I think that's a fair. Th- I think Delaney and Gabbard probably came out of the crew the best, and then there was just some wackadoo stuff, which we'll be getting into here in just a moment. But uh, Beto is Beto is Beto. He is Dunzo. I do not think Beto is gonna, which is a shame because I really enjoy. People really like the Beto impersonation, producer Mike. So we might have to just create a character where it's like. Beto's our special, uh. like, American unity around the campfire while he plays a guitar correspondent. Something he's fun like, to make fun of, that's for he sure. He's fun to make fun of. You know, I mean, that's, so I'm a little sad that he's not going to be in the mix more. It's like Bernie Sanders, you got to have to burn because then you can, if he was president for four years, think about what we could do. We could talk about Bernie Sanders all the time. It'd be fantastic. Um, I mean, it'd be bad for the economy, for the country, and for the world, but at least I'd be able to make fun of Bernie Sanders a lot, which would be good. Uh, now, though, on to the crazy for a second. here. Um, and by the way, we've got some big Supreme Court decisions that came down today, one on gerrymandering and one on uh, the census. So the gerrymandering, the court was correct and said that it's not an issue for the for the Supreme Court to decide. Gerrymandering is going to happen. Uh, the census question, I think, was close to wrongly decided. And I think it's a bad thing. Um, going on there. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk about that though later on. Let's get into why I'm, I I just think it was a good thing for the American people to see last night who these Democrats are, what they believe, what they think, and how completely bizarre some of their beliefs are and, and what social justice rhetoric and thinking can do to a person. How How wrong how outside the mainstream how just uh loony can it make you you know that the social issues would come up in the course of the debate with all these different candidates but i did not expect this to happen and and i usually know what the democrats are going to do where they're going to go with something I, i am rarely surprised by the democrats this one was a WTH moment. This was wow. Ulian Castro last night uh, said that well, we, we knew that he, he said that 
they should have taxpayers fund abortions, which is a very has been a red line in American politics for a long time. It's why we had the the Hyde Amendment. Now, as I've said, money is fungible and you give money to Planned Parenthood. You're giving money to abortion mills. It doesn't really change. But but at least there was this this something of an effort to even if just give a fig leaf that we're not going to take money from Americans and and just funnel it right away in a direct fashion from your pocket to the Treasury to abortion abortion mills. And now the Democrats have abandoned that. It is the official Democratic Party platform that you must fund, that abortion is abortions are health care and that it must be funded. But then so that's already a radical position. And I, it's, it's a deeply immoral position. It's a scientifically unsound position. It's a you know, you go down. It, it, it's heinous. It's it's evil. It's wrong. But this added a whole other layer. What Castro said last night to this issue. Play 10. Would your plan cover abortion, Mr. Secretary? Uh, yes, it would. Uh, I don't believe only in reproductive uh, freedom. I believe in reproductive justice. And, you know, what that means is that just because a woman, or let's also not forget someone in the trans community, a trans female, uh, is poor, doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to exercise that right to choose. And so I absolutely would cover the right to have an abortion. So a trans female would have a taxpayer funded abortion? Is that am I missing it, Mike, or is that what I feel like that's what was said? Absolutely. Let's not leave the trans community out of the abortion. And he said a trans female, which would mean a biological male, a biological male who yeah. Does someone need to explain XXXY chromosome, the birds and the bees? The uh, I, I know that this is a massive pandering festival last night to all the different communities of, of uh, all the different factions in the Democratic Party. But I am pretty darn sure that it is not something that we have to worry about when you have biological males who are transgender females. Putting aside what that even means for a moment, I am quite certain they cannot have children. And, th- and therefore, the, the abortion, the abortion issue does not come into play. And for a presidential candidate, the Democratic Party to say that was just a window into, wow, these people are nuts. They're just living in an alternate universe. Facts don't matter. Science doesn't matter. Reality doesn't matter. It's just. Whatever sounds like they care the most about an aggrieved community or an oppressed community or whatever it may be. We'll get into later about all the the habla espanol that was going on. You know, Cory Booker spoke about trans Americans last night as well. He didn't I don't believe he said that they should get taxpayer funded abortions, which so Cory Booker's got that at least going for him. But but here's what he said. Play Kip 12. Civil rights is some place to begin, but in the African-American civil rights community, another place to focus on was to stop the lynching of African-Americans. We do not talk enough about trans-Americans, especially African-American trans-Americans, and the incredibly high rates of murder right now. We don't talk enough about how many children, about 30% of LGBTQ kids, who do not go to school because of fear. It's not enough just to be on the Equality Act. I'm an original co-sponsor. We need to have a president that will fight to okay. protect LGBTQ Americans Thank every you. single day from violence. Thank you, Senator Bush. So 
We don't talk enough, according to Democrats, about trans Americans or as as Cory Booker says, they're uh, African-American trans Americans. So I mean, that, that's a, a whole even more specific designation. Producer Mike just sent me this. People who identify as trans are 0.2 percent of the population. I think we talk about trans Americans a lot, actually. I think the Democratic Party is obsessed with the issue of trans Americans because they think that this is a new civil rights struggle and it brings together for them the eradication of gender and the the radical equality that they believe they can make between men and women by eliminating gender as something that is physically constructed, something that is biologically based. Uh, They're wrong in this, and that's why they have these uh, completely insane ideas like, you know, there should be trans trans female MMA fighters and that that's not dangerous and a, and a terrible idea. I mean, they're wrong about these things, but nonetheless, they they do cling to them. But Julian Castro last night, trans trans Americans should or trans females rather uh, should have taxpayer funded abortions. If you were trying to come up with a tagline for the Democrat debate last night of just how far left, how crazy this party has become. We're not sitting around arguing over, you know, what the marginal tax rate should be. Should it be up 2% or down 2% or something? I mean, there's some people who want to have that conversation. No, no, no. Democrats now, as a party, are kicking at the load-bearing walls of our society. I mean, they just want to see how far they can push everything. And if you have any questions at all, it just if you just want to slow things down a little bit, hey, can we study this a little more? Can we spend a little more time on this? You're a bigot. You're awful. You're mean. You don't care about kids drowning in the Rio Grande. You don't care about trans Americans being murdered. No, I mean, we we care about all those. We don't want anything bad to happen to anybody. But can we talk about policy? Can we talk about what works in the real world? Ah, no. You see, last night was a portal. The Democrats created a portal into a left wing fantasy world where reality no longer counts. It's just whatever gets the left wing audience riled up and feels emotionally validated. That's what the Democratic Party has become. Insanity that emotionally validates the left. And that's what we saw in the debate. We have more on this in a moment. My plan would be to, first of all, make community college free um, and make sure that everyone else besides uh, that top percentile gets help with their education. Secondly, I'd use Pell Grants. I'd double them uh, from $6,000 to $12,000 a year and expand it to the number of families that get covered, uh, to families that make up to $100,000. My family didn't have the money for a college application, much less a chance for me to go to college. But I got my chance. It was a $50 a semester commuter college. That was a little slice of government that created some opportunity for a girl. And it opened my life. You're never going to find out how expensive college can be until it is free. Trust me. You had their uh, Klobuchar and Pocahontas, a.k.a. Elizabeth Warren, uh, talking about the ways that they want to expand people's ability to go to college. Let's 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 understand this. You have one point seven, one point six trillion dollars of outstanding student loans. Which means that there are a lot of people who are taking out loans. And by the way, of that one thing that doesn't get discussed of that one point six trillion, there's a big chunk of that that is for profit colleges, 
Uh, there's a big chunk of that that is education that people should probably think long and hard before they go forward with it. A lot, for-profit college can work for people, can be okay, but it is a sketchy success uh, ratio for people who are trying to get certain jobs going to these for-profit universities and these different online programs. And, and here's, here's what the real discussion should be at the, at the national level. Instead of just trying to say that everything is free, which means that everyone's going to pay for really the top third of America socioeconomically, there's going to be a, a, a subsidy that the taxpayer is going to provide for them to go to school. There already are lots of subsidies. I mean, we're already funneling dollars into state universities, state colleges, community colleges. You can more or less go to community college almost for free. And at the very elite level, places like Yale University, Harvard University, if you make under a certain amount of money, you are probably going to graduate with little to no debt. This is not a program. This is not a plan that the Democrats are putting forward that's going to make this better because they're not dealing with the real problem. The real problem is if everybody this is market based, this is supply and demand, if everybody has some kind of a degree and that's a credential that is used in the hiring process, then guess what? That credential isn't worth as much anymore. You know, if you gave everybody in the in, in the United States a million dollars, it wouldn't be the same to be a millionaire anymore either. Right. You wouldn't be like, oh, I'm rich now. No, you wouldn't be rich because everybody's got a million dollars. There is going to be a stratification process involved in higher education. You're never going to get rid of it entirely. Ultimately, everybody can't get a trophy. Now, another part of this is that going to a four-year college is not necessarily a trophy. You might not want to do it. You know, in, a, in my own way, as somebody who comes from a, a coastal city and thought about getting a, t- a very expensive two-year graduate degree, I looked at this problem as somebody who came out of the government, had very little savings, I mean, like basically no money in the bank, and was going to apply to go get an MBA and do all this stuff. And I said, you know, I just, I'd rather just get a job and just, just hustle, just make it happen. That's what I did. Now here I am on a nationally syndicated radio show. Yay me. But these are the decisions that people should be forced to make. You have to have individual responsibility. It's amazing to hear Democrats up there on that stage talking for as long as they did. And words like, you know, freedom, liberty, individual responsibility. None of these things ever come out of their mouths. There, there's a whole lexicon. There's a whole way of speaking, talking about this kind of justice, that kind of justice, uh, you know, the, the way that layers of oppression make their way into the thinking of all of these libs on that stage all the time uh and and the way they'll talk about our democracy our democracy first of all it's a republic and second of all democracy just means whatever gets libs in power that's really what democracy is for them it's not what they pretend that it is and and you know the the plans they have for college are not going to help the people that they think they're going to help. I mean, to to eliminate all that debt is would be a, a, an act of tremendous unfairness to people who didn't take out those loans or already paid off their loans. So I, I just think it's 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 important that we see this for what it really is and that the libs are. Uh, well, they'll never learn that. That is for sure. They will absolutely never learn um oh speaking of never learn family separation they talked a lot about immigration last night you know what you got from it they have no plans no interest whatsoever in stopping 
the flow of migrants to our southern border. They do not view this. I keep saying it. They do not view this as a problem. They don't see this as an issue. They they, if anything, just hope that this continues on and they like the issue as a means of bashing Republicans. Here is Beto. It's like I just last night was my big chance and I didn't seize that chance. But if we just all seize each other and just hold each other's hands and just you don't have to sing in tune, but just like I just want to play a G on my guitar. And then if you're close enough to it, we can all just like sing together and I'll make my big comeback. But Beto was talking about family separation. The only the only part of the immigration debate the Democrats want to discuss here is what they said. Play eight. No one's worked harder to end the practice of family separation. In my administration, we will reunite every separated family. We will free dreamers from any fear of deportation by making them U.S. citizens and we'll rewrite our immigration laws in our own image so they reflect our values, our interests, and our reality in cities like Miami, where we are today, or my hometown of El Paso. So a very ambitious, bold plan to make sure that we get immigration policy right. What does that mean? You know, it's my favorite question. What does that mean? We're going to rewrite our we're going to rewrite our immigration plan so that they represent and mirror who we are as a people. I'd give myself an A. Yeah, exactly. He would give himself an A. He doesn't he doesn't even know what that means other than stay away from talking about how the Democrats are an open borders party. I'd he, give myself an A. Yeah. If if you can get here, you can stay. That's the that's the Beto way. And then he'd give himself an A. It's really just it was it was madness up there on stage last night. It was a lot of people who are even when they were saying the stuff that's even crazier than the, than them what they would want to say for the most part, because that is where the base of the Democratic Party is. It was a a smorgasbord of crazy, a bacchanal of the insane at a menagerie of mindlessness. I could go on and on. I should be a sportscaster, you know. Serendipity, baby. You know, I can be one of those guys. Isn't yeah, that, man. Is that Dick Vitale, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know some things about the sports. Not go. as much as you, Mike, but I'm working on it. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, we're going to have Ann Coulter joining us for quite a bit in the second hour. We're going to have a chat about the Central Park Five as well as the big Supreme Court cases that came down today. Ann is super fun, so definitely stay, stay around for that. That'll be right in the middle of the show. We'll be right back. Well, the biggest uh, geopolitical challenge is China. Biggest threat to the security of the United States is Donald Trump. You're at a greater risk of nuclear war today than ever before in history. Our major threat right now is what's going on in the Mideast with Iran. Our existential threat is climate change. Climate change. Yeah, Senator Booker. Nuclear proliferation and climate change. Secretary uh, Castro. Say, uh, China and climate change. Uh, Congressman Ryan. China without a question. Russia because they're trying to undermine our democracy. The biggest threat, folks, according to these Democrats, the biggest threat the United States faces. You heard all their answers there. It was a kind of a, one of the few rapid fire moments of what was a, a pretty lackluster overall. I mean, there's there was nobody who was impressive. I mean, I tweeted this out last night. I would take producer Mike. What do you think of this? I would take any. If I had to start a new chain of yogurt shops, you know, if I was going to be a, a, a startup of my own business, I would take a random MBA student, just picked at random, over pretty much anybody. The only exception might be Delaney, but everybody else on that stage last night, I would take random MBA student. Yeah, no doubt. 
No doubt about it. I mean, these yep. people have no second thought, no sense of how a business works, no sense of how the, or at least when they talk about this, they have no sense of how the real world works. You know, I'm someone like Elizabeth Warren. Has she has she ever had to has she ever had to read a balance sheet? Does she have any idea? She talks about small business all the time. What what does she know about small business? She's been a professor. I know. Uh, Mom and Paul never taught her that. I guess not. But you know, there was a lot of stuff last night that was pretty crazy. That's that's really the theme. Democrats are crazy. <laughs> Lesson from debate one: Democrats are crazy. We can take that that one to the bank. But then there's also on the national security side. Uh, I forget who it was that said Trump. I think that's. I think it was Inslee. Maybe he might have said Trump, or who who said Trump was the. What doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, Inslee was. It was Trump, Inslee, and he made, Look, uh, he made Chuck w- Todd's night. There, there's a part of me that wants to give the benefit of the doubt and and say that that. They don't he didn't mean that as in he just was trying to be funny. But I do believe that there are Democrats and perhaps Inslee is one of them who really think that the greatest threat that the country faces is, in fact, Donald Trump. These people are nuts. Absolutely nuts. The biggest threat. I mean, he's been president for over two years. The country's fine. Things are good. We're not starting any big wars. Haven't gotten hit with any major, knock on wood, haven't gotten hit with any major terrorist attacks. Economy's really robust. What, what's the problem, everybody? It's like they, they hate the country doing so well on the left. I don't know what to say. I mean, if you, had, if you had told people when they were voting, based on what the Democrats were saying in the fall of 2016, that this is what the country would look like under Donald Trump, I think it, I think it would have beaten Hillary in a lot of states that he didn't even beat her right now. If you really had that clarity about the results of this presidency, but he, he said that Trump was the biggest threat. Look, people want to say the, the Democrats who said nuclear stuff or Iran, that's legit. That's you can make that claim. I, I don't think Iran really is that big of a threat to us. But I, I do think it's fair to say that the Iranians are a threat in general. You could make I mean, the, the real answer is China is the only China is the only uh, country in the world that poses a a challenge to us of replacing us as the global hegemon. They're the only one that for the next hundred years, that's a serious, a serious concern. Russia is not. China. There we go. Russia is not a serious concern on that, on that front. Um, but Russia could be a threat in some way. But the part of it that really just got me incensed is to say the biggest threat that the, the United States faces, the biggest national security threat, uh, the ge- geopolitical, so geopolitical threat includes a whole bunch of stuff. Threat to the United States is climate change. This is not a thing that, that sane people would say. This is not a thing that you would believe unless you had consumed so much propaganda and you knew that your team, as in Team Lib, the left, was so set on this that it's impossible, impossible to get them to think rationally about it. It is complete nonsense to say that the biggest geopolitical threat to America is climate change. I don't care who they have say it. They're wrong. I don't, and it doesn't matter if they could have the biggest genius in the world sit down. And not that they have the biggest genius in the world. It's usually Al Gore or Leonardo DiCaprio. But they sit down and say that this is what really, uh, what really should concern us. This is the catastrophist mindset that has been wrong countless times stretching back for centuries about how we're all going to die unless this thing happens. It's not going to happen. I assure you climate change is not the threat that they think that it is. And then you, so so you had four people 
say either climate change as their primary answer or just uh, throw climate change in there as well, because the the left wing base, I mean, the, the left wing voters in these primaries are all climate change lunatics. I mean, they they think that climate change and if you don't believe in climate change, there's something deeply morally wrong with you. You know, you, you, you don't care about the future of this country. You don't care about the world melting down. You know, you, you just don't care about any of it. So that is where they are. And I, and I think that it's fair to say that, that that's, a, that's a crazy belief. That's not a rational thing for anyone to, uh, to believe at all. And that was something the Democrats were saying a lot last night. Another thing that, that came up, the, the class warfare stuff. It, it never gets old. Unfortunately, it works. You know why? Let's all be honest about this. Envy makes for good politics. Uh, envy is a is a human frailty. We all have it in different ways. We all covet, you know, our neighbor's wife or our neighbor's husband or our neighbor's house or, you know, we and you have to fight against that. You know, you have to fight against wanting what somebody else has, coveting their success, their wealth, their their whatever it may be. But if you are willing to pinpoint that and try to appeal to someone's envy, you can get very, very far. And that's where Bill de Blasio comes in. Play clip 14. This is supposed to be the party of working people. Yes, we're supposed to be for 70% tax rate on the wealthy. Yes, we're supposed to be for free college, free public college for our young people. We are supposed to break up big corporations when they're not serving our democracy. This Democratic Party has to be strong and bold and progressive. And in New York, we've proven that we can do something very different. We can put money back in the hands of working people. And let me tell you, every time you talk about investing in people and their communities, you hear folks say there's not enough money. What I say to them every single time is there's plenty of money in this world. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. We Democrats have to fix that. That should send a chill down your spine. That he will just come out and say, this is the mayor of the largest city in the country. I'm coming to you from that city right now on this show. That there's plenty of money. It's just in the wrong hands. What a statement. What a thing to say. I mean, this is, you know, right out of the Karl Marx playbook here. This is astonishing stuff for a a major American political figure, for better or for worse, for worse, obviously, uh, to be saying on on the stage like this, it was just stunning. And when he's not telling us that the wrong people have the money, then he's saying that people in New York City uh, need to watch that you need to watch out because of all the all the racists here, especially among the police. Play thirteen. So want to say there's something that sets me apart from all my colleagues running in this race, and that is for the last 21 years I've been raising a black son in America. And I have had to have very, very serious talks with my son, Dante, about how to protect himself on the streets of our city and all over this country, including how to deal with the fact that he has to take special caution because there have been too many tragedies between our young men and our police, too. (sighs) The panderer of the Big Apple, Bill de Blasio. Fortunately, even Democrats won't vote for that guy. You know, I was hoping last night was that somebody was going to hand Klobuchar a used comb so she could eat a salad during the break. I didn't want her to get low blood sugar. We'll be right back.
Democrats are solely responsible for the humanitarian crisis because they've refused every single effort to shut off the magnets of child smuggling. Hard to believe. Well, let me be perfectly clear. I'm glad the Speaker and the administration are discussing some of these outstanding issues. But if House Democrats send the Senate back some partisan effort to disrupt our bipartisan progress, we will simply move to table it. The United States Senate is not going to pass a border funding bill that cuts the money for ICE and the Department of Defense. It's not going to happen. We already have our compromise. The Shelby Leahy Senate bill is the only game in town. Time to quit playing games. Time to make a law. Cocaine Mitch hath spoken. It is time to quit, quit playing games. He's right. The Democrats taking the position that they're going to get some other cuts in in enforcement measures. I mean, this this couldn't be any more obvious. Could you imagine? Just think about this for a moment. If we were dealing with any other area of criminal law and there was a crisis, right? If we had a, well, we do have a drug crisis in this country, but if, if there was a, a burglary crisis and the Democrat, which because burglary is illegal and the Democrats came along and they said, all right, look, we'll we're willing to to put more uh, more, you know, treatment programs in place for people who are compulsive thieves, but we we don't want to do anything to help the burglary units of the police departments. We, we don't want there to be you know, more staffing to to help investigate these crimes. We're only going to work on on the treatment side of the equation. I think people would say that they were nuts. Uh, or or if, if they were going to say that we're going to have deferred prosecution agreements for everybody doing burglary and that's it. So there's no real punishment for it. You, you just steal stuff and, and then you get let go. But we're going to make sure you're let go quickly and humanely. That's that's what they really push for. It's it's maddening, folks. It's maddening. They, they don't want any enforcement measures to be in place. That has been uh, clear for a, a long time here. Um, they only talked last night in this debate about the ways in which they would really like to to essentially pander to the illegal immigrant and and predominantly Hispanic community. Uh, as we're on air, we got this. We got the Senate right there. They're voting. OK, they're going to pass. It looks like this four point six billion dollar border bill. And this is just money to deal with the facilities and the overcrowding. This isn't going to make the problem stop. This isn't going to make the problem go away, which is why I think there's so little hope that this is going to be something that doesn't continue to just drag on and on. There are reasons why people are coming here illegally, and those reasons are not going away because of what Democrats are doing. And from last night, as we started off the show discussing, Democrats are crazy, and they are crazy on this issue. Uh, but somehow they've managed to create a, a narrative that makes Republicans feel like they need to be on defense here. Well, this, I shouldn't say somehow. This is what they always do. But even people within the bureaucracy of enforcement itself are feeling the heat. And this is an AP News story today about the turmoil inside the Department of Homeland Security over this. Let me read you. Leaks, pointed accusations, a top official's resignation, and above all, increasingly dire conditions for migrants, those who make it across the border and those who fail as captured in the searing images of a father clutching a child in which everyone has been quite focused on. Um, but this is what this AP story says. The Department of Homeland Security has entered a new stage of dysfunction and finger pointing as the administration continues to rearrange staff and push hardline rhetoric. 
Squabbling and jockeying over jobs comes amid outrage over reports of children being held at the border. And there's just all this, uh, all this now, all these accusations about people leaking. You had last week, Mark Morgan, newly installed as acting director of ICE, sought to please his boss by moving forward with, a, uh, with an operation targeting families. Then people said McAleenan may have leaked about this to stop it from happening. Now there's all this finger pointing, all this mess. Here's what's going on. People that work in the government have gotten the message from the media, from the libs, from the left, that if you try and do what Trump wants you to do, if you go along with what Trump is trying to accomplish at the border, they will settle scores with you even after you leave government service. The left is very good at this. They're good at witch hunts. They're good at pressure campaigns, at boycotts, and now at a form of blacklisting. They blacklist people that work in a Republican administration. This is they've done this so that if uh, and, and these have been campaigns. I mean, this has really happened. I'm not imagining this. They've they've pushed around these uh, petitions. You know, don't hire anybody. Don't work with anybody. Don't do anything with anybody who works for the Trump administration. When they leave government service, even if they are practitioners, even if they are people who are just doing a job like law enforcement and DHS, it's about homeland security. It's not supposed to be political. It's supposed to be working within the framework of the laws that we have to protect all of us. And nope, not anymore. It used to be that if you came out of an administration, a senior post, you could look forward to, you could look forward to the Biden treatment. You know, $200,000 speeches, angel hair pasta, biscotti topped with a little bit of, uh, I was going to say parmigiana, but you don't put parmigiana on a biscotti, Mark. No, you put, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what's the, what, what do you call it? It's like the ice cream, but it's not the ice gelato. cream. Gelato. Gelato. Si, ciao. You put gelato on the biscotti. Right? That's what you're supposed to get if you're a senior government official. You get all the fancy stuff. If you're a senior government official working at DHS for Trump, and you leave and you try to get a job, private sector, you want to be on the board of a company, any of this stuff, you know what ends up happening? Nothing. Because people won't talk to you, they won't touch you, and all they see this is the thing, they they don't they don't just work on public opinion. The left creates professional and personal fear among those that are supposed to enact the Trump agenda. And this is how you have a Department of Homeland Security that has now senior people that are pointing fingers talking about leaks. You know, you get Matt, Matt, you get people that are have already resigned. They're trying to get out of there because they don't want to deal with what the libs will do to them when the time comes. They don't want to deal with what will happen after they leave office if they're a part of this. I mean, you've got members of Congress saying that Trump is running concentration camps at the border. And obviously, libs don't appreciate that. I'm sorry. Obviously, that's going to impact somebody's job prospects to have, you know, worked in a situation where they're told that they're the equivalent of, uh, you know, the, the Nazis, right? And, and this is what libs do. They're very effective at this, at putting reputational risk on the shoulders of those who are working in law enforcement under this administration, who are working within the federal government for this, uh, for this president. You do this at your peril, even if the public supports you by a majority. So that's what's going on inside DHS as I see it. We'll be right back. Some big Supreme Court cases came down today. And, uh, you know, we have Ann Coulter with us now to talk about why 
once again, conservative justices don't seem to be able to stay stay on their team, stay on the script. John Roberts, I've had questions about him all along, but we'll get Ann to weigh in and tell us what's really happening here. She is, of course, Ann Coulter, uh, 13 bestsellers. You know her. You see her. And thank you so much. All right, we got these two cases. Let, let's start. Can we start with the gerrymandering case just to dispense with this? I want to yeah, know what is the standard? What is the standard that liberals offer for it's not going to be political how we decide what congressional districts are in our state? How does that work? <laughs> well, um, first of all, I should throw in a caveat to this. After saying, sure, I'd love to discuss the cases today. I haven't, I haven't read them yet. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> I have a general idea what they concluded. Um, and on the gerrymandering case, um, if you were an um, assiduous viewer of MSNBC, you would know that the only people who engage in gerrymandering are Republicans, Buck Sexton. Um, every time I hear them saying this on MSNBC, um, <laughs> I, I, I laugh. Well, it's like um, big money in politics. Only, uh, only we have big money in politics <laughs> and dark money in politics. The, the Soros money doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. Go look at um, like Illinois's um, their 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 division of congressional districts. It's basically an octopus going out from Chicago. It is. It looks like modern art. No, it is the Democrats. And for years, for what am I saying? For decades, Texas every four years would vote for a Republican president, and the number of Democrats in Congress, it was something like, um, you know, three to one Democrats to Republicans who were elected to Congress. Now, that happens from gerrymandering. Um, Yeah, okay, so both sides are going to complain when the other side does it, but your question, I think, is the most important question, which is, and I, I, I gather the court. Um, washed its hands of the matter, right. and I think that's appropriate. What standard do you use here whenever states pass these laws saying, oh, we'll have an independent commission decide this? It, it doesn't tend to end up all that much better. Sorry, this is just, I, I mean, this is maybe, maybe someone can persuade me otherwise. I would love to have, you know, be able to comp- to be able to stop it, but I think you just have to throw up your hands and say this is one of the results of winning. And the other case is citizenship, and what's going on with this one? Well, as much as I would like to attack Justice Roberts, having been the lonely voice in the woods warning conservatives against him when he was nominated, technically what the court found was they sent it back to the district court um, saying um, this is the, the executive branch's rulemaking authority. They can make these rules, but, but they have to have a, you know, a rational basis for it. Um, you have to explain your decision better, and this explanation isn't very good. So come back and give us, give us an explanation for why you want to ask this question. It could be, um, and again, I'm not really in a mood to defend Roberts, but what what Justice Berger always did, um, because he was the chief justice of a very liberal court, um, he'd, he'd switch his vote at the last minute to vote with the majority so that he could write the opinion and not make it as crazy as it might otherwise have been. So some of these decisions that Robert signs on to where they say, oh, he's with the liberals, he's with the liberals, it could be him taking one for the team so that the, a bad decision, well, who knows, um, is going to be is going to be mitigated, um, but we can still come out of that one okay. Obviously, it makes a huge difference. Um, well, why is there um, such such a, a rejection of getting the data? I mean, you know, another place where people tell me that I'm crazy and they say that you're crazy is on is on the number of illegal aliens right. who, are the, who are who are in the country. 
I look at them like, you, you really, you guys really believe the last 10 years it's been 11. We got a million this year alone, at least. Right. And that's, by the way, that's just from Central America. That's not including all the Cubans and the Bangladeshis, all these other people I see running across. I've actually seen running across the border in the last six months with my own eyes. Border Patrol laughs when you say it's 11 million. They're like, yeah, right, buddy. Like, we're getting thousands and thousands a day. Do the math. Uh, yes. But, but you know, how is it the government never gets an answer here? I describe this in Adios America. They're all going, every, every report that tells you 11 million, and they've been saying roughly 11 million, um, you know, maybe 11.8, 12.5, but right around there, since the beginning of the Bush administration. So we're supposed to believe that it, ha- it has not changed since for, for 15 years now. Um, no, that defies plausibility. Um, so in Adios America, well, well, what they're doing is they're going by census reports. So people who have who have crossed through thousands of miles of desert, left their families, these days dragged a kid with them, stolen IDs, ripped off American workers, ridden in the back of a flatbed truck. Um, someone comes to them and says, I'm from the government. Would you fill, fill out this survey, please? We're supposed to believe that they're filling it out, and they are being totally honest. That's where the 11 million figure comes from. Everyone's using the census report. So you would think everyone who was out there using the census report from Center for Immigration Studies to Pew, um, you'd think they'd want a, a, a better answer on this. But it, it matters for a lot of things. It matters for um, the number of congressional districts there are. It matters for federal, federal programs, how much money your district gets. Um, they have these districts called, I think they call them ghost districts, where there are so many illegal aliens who can't vote in a district um, a congressperson is being elected by a very, very small number of people. That seems like something we should want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we should try to get answers about all this. But there's, there is a... obviously is watering down the votes of people who don't live in those ghost districts. So it's one thing. It's, it's like applying Senate rules to the House. So in the Senate, everyone understands every state gets two senators. And it doesn't matter if you're a teeny tiny little Delaware or great big California. But obviously, as a consequence, someone's, someone's vote for Senate in California is not worth as much as someone's vote for Senate in, um, say, Rhode Island or Delaware. Oh, well, that's how the Constitution works. It isn't really it isn't a perfect democracy. It's a republic. We all know that. Okay, but if, 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 when you're jamming in illegal aliens and counting them for purposes of how of of how big your congressional district is that that turns a house race into a senate race where your vote for example in maxine waters district heavily full of illegal illegal aliens um counts vastly more than your vote in you know some some county that or some congressional district that's made up of all americans yeah again i i think that this is something where we should all want the answers, but there's clear hostility. Do you think the administration didn't mess up on this one, though? It seems like Wilbur Ross had a little bit of a Mr. Magoo moment here. Um, I'm not sure. That I haven't looked at closely enough. Okay. I'm just, because well, it seems to me like they, well, they, they should have known that, you know, they shouldn't write out like, well, this will help the Republicans and put that in memos. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, not, right. it's not slick, guys. <laughs> they could be better. And before we let you go, I'm just wondering, how, how are you feeling about, how you feel about Trump these days now that we're actually in the election season? Um, I'd feel a lot better if the Democrats would put up a plausible candidate uh, to frighten Trump. Because, I mean, if he won't keep his central campaign promises when he has to worry about re-election, <laughs> is he more likely to keep those promises 
when he doesn't have to worry about re-election? No, we're looking at a second term where all he'll have to worry about is, or think about, concern himself, is making sure that Ivanka's purse business does well. And, you know, winning the, the hearts and minds of, of Manhattan liberals, um, though I don't think that's ever going to happen, so he may give up on that part pretty fast. But I would like, uh, I, I've, we, were, we had 10 seconds on the clock on election day. Now we have about a half a second to get him to fulfill his promises before the end of his first term. Um, the Democrats, however, are really letting me down by running primarily crazy. I was saying, they, last night was kind of amazing. It wasn't really that it wasn't really great theater because we've heard a lot of this stuff before, but it was it was a really concentrated dose of delusion and insanity on the stage. Yes. yes. Well, I was watching with one liberal and one moderate out here, um, and we all liked Tulsi Gabbard. I yep. mean, genuinely liked and the guy from Delaney. Baltimore. Yeah, Delaney. Yeah, he's 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 a he's a normal human being. You could have. A, I've actually interviewed him. He's a normal oh, really? person you could have a conversation with. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by that. After that, the three of us totally disagreed. But all three liked those. Yeah, but, but Delaney has, has, has like less chance than Beto of becoming yes. president. <laughs> and Beto's chances are not good. Who is the, and I got to ask you, who is the craziest? I mean, if you, if you had to just pick pure crazy from that Democrat stage tonight or last night, we'll put the whole field in play. Who's the wackiest? Um, well, it's kind of cheating, but I think de Blasio. <laughs> yes, that is the well, correct answer. Not as much chance as Delaney. <laughs> That's true, but I, De Blasio I mean, he's is hated by liberals in Manhattan. I've done. I've tried to tell everybody I can about how he used to be Warren Wilhelm, and that just explains so much more when they understand. Funny that, so. you say that. I looked it up for them last night. I knew it was some crazy name, and that's what we were calling him throughout the debate. They, they didn't believe me when I first told. In the Freedom Hunter, we call him Kaiser Wilhelm, just so everybody, <laughs> <laughs> everybody remembers. And call to everybody if you haven't already buy one of her thirteen best-selling books, and uh, obviously follow her for great, funny. Wonderful insights on Twitter. And have fun out on the left coast. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye, Buck. All right, team. We'll be back. Senator Booker, what would you do on day one? And this is a situation that the next president will inherit. Yes. La situación ahora es inaceptable. Este presidente ha atacado, ha demonizado los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable y voy a cambiar este. On day one, I will make sure that number one, we end the ICE policies and the customs and border policies that are violating the human rights. This economy has got to work for everyone. And right now we know that it isn't. And it's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that it does. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Pero si queremos hacer eso, necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Now, I know, I know habla español personally, right? I, I took French, German, Arabic. I speak very little of any of those things now. A little bit of French just because of the restaurants. Um, I mean, I guess I can go into a German restaurant and order the schnitzel. Yeah, ich, ich wohne die schnitzel. Uh, that's about where I or, or the kartoffel, which is potato. But Mike, the pandering last night was world class. I have to say, and and I heard people say that who do speak Spanish that the Cory Booker speaking Spanish. You're like, ah, uh, what is he? It's not quite Mayor Bloomberg habla <laughs> español, but it's like pretty bad. Yeah, he got off to a shaky start there. It didn't get any much better after yeah, that. I, I, Cory Booker all of a sudden was having flashbacks to freshman year Spanish 101 or whatever. It was like, uh, necesito, uh, 
you know. The best was I saw, I saw a still of uh, Booker looking at, like a side angle of Booker looking at Beto when he was speaking Spanish, and he was like, man, you're stealing my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's like one after another they, they do this. I got to say, uh, credit credit to Ben Shapiro. He was one of my favorites last night. He, he wrote that uh, – just wait until Elizabeth Warren starts speaking Cherokee. Yeah, that was well. That. that was well played. That was, that was awesome. well played. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's amazing. I mean they there was so much last night that was unsurprising, but still, even when you expect some of this, even when you think they're going to do this stuff, when they actually do it, you find yourself going, "Oh my gosh!" And then there was that uh, we didn't get this before because it wasn't all that important, but the, you know NBC had a little bit of a. A little of a glitch, which is surprising for these big, fancy networks. Play four. Is there a role for the federal government in order to play in order to get these guns off the streets? What's happening? We are hearing our colleagues' audio. I, if the control room can turn off the mics. If the, if the control room can turn off the mics of our previous moderators, we will. You know, we've prepared for yes. everything. Guess what, guys? We are going to take a quick break. We're going to get this technical uh, situation fixed. We will be right back. I got to tell you, Mike, of all the nightmares that somebody in the media business has, yeah. it's not that, like, glitches happen, yeah. but whenever you have something like that in an election where you had, uh, what was it? I mean, it's not an election, a debate. Gosh, election. I think they said 20 million people watched last night. Some crazy. Yeah. It was 11 or 20. I forget. It was mil- whatever. Double digit millions of people watching this thing. And the most terrifying thing when you work in the media business is that you get caught on an open mic, a situation like this, where you're just like, oh, man, like, I shouldn't have eaten all those beans. You know, like, you just say something yeah. really not. I mean, it could be a lot worse than that, obviously, too. But, like, you know, that's. And that, that's what keeps me up at night. The one day I'm going to be at some event with millions and millions of people listening and I'm going to just take that microphone into the men's room and all of a sudden the whole country knows me a lot better than oh, they yeah. ever intended to. Like Leslie Nielsen and Naked Gun. Oh, yeah. Oh, it happened to uh, my old colleague. It happened on Glenn's radio show. Did it really? And it was one of the most watched YouTube clips that I think we ever had when I was at The Blaze where <laughs> Jeffy, who's a fantastic, uh, the nicest, best dude, great guy, uh, Jeffy, who's a part of Glenn's show, I believe it was. I believe it was Jeffy. I don't think it was Stu. And if Stu heard that, he'd probably throw something at me. But I think it was Jeffy went into the because the bathrooms in Dallas are, and yeah, it was an, it was a total making. And we, you heard the whole like, whoop, and then the you know the the relief going on <laughs> the whole thing. I'm not saying he wasn't exactly giving the like you know eh, you know like kind of like leading into it too much or whatever. But he he relieved it, and that's everyone's you know. Everyone's nightmare in this business is that that will happen. You'll get caught on the open mic, and then nothing bad was said, so they were they were lucky with that. But speaking of mics, you know that the uh, one of CNN's he is in fact CNN's chief political correspondent. So the person that they put forward, he, he, you see him yeah. on TV. He's actually on uh, he's on Blitzer show today. He's on all the time. He was fired from Yahoo for being caught on an open mic saying that Mitt Romney is happy to have a party. I don't know if it was Romney or the Republicans. I think it's the Republicans are happy to throw a party while black people are drowning. That was the quote uh, yeah, that he said. I remember that. And and he is now the chief political analyst at CNN, number one. I and mean, they're probably paying this guy a million dollars a year to go on CNN and give Democratic talking points. Dude, when you do that stuff in that world, it's a, it's a badge of honor <laughs> and a raise. Absolutely right. He, t- he accidentally took one for the team. And I always say this, Libs 
libs take care of their own. And Republicans are always like, oh, well, like whatever the free market will bear. It's like, okay, well, we get like I was saying before about DHS, we get blacklisted. And we get I, I have a friend right now who's trying to get jobs. He's he was cre- he was a creative uh, on the TV side and worked at networks that are mostly reality TV based, worked in a right wing network for a little bit and is now trying to dip his toe back and doing some of the other stuff. And he says that in interview after interview, they say, oh, you work for that like conservative media entity. Yeah, I think the position is filled. I mean, they just they're not even trying to hide it. I mean, they just have no interest in in helping them out at all. So that's that's not surprising. But yeah, NBC had that little technical meltdown last night, which was for me, it just gets you, you. You think for a moment, oh, my gosh, just please don't ever let it happen where I start, you know, rocking out at the urinal and the mic is still on. You live in this in this world of microphones. We all although I guess we all kind of carry microphones on us all the time. And paranoia is something that's good for all of us to have. Yeah, that's why whenever you tell a joke, you got to check over both shoulders before you tell anybody what the joke is going to be. Mike, who won the debate last night? Oh, man. Uh, I would probably say uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I think so, too. I think she came off looking looking yeah, she was the very best. Composed. I mean, she, by the way, she's kind of, she hasn't done anything in the Congress for like whatever the almost yeah. 20 years she's been in there, but she, she came across pretty despite, well. Despite the fact she used the word service too much. But uh, that's true. Oh, wait. We got some other. Oh, that's right. Central Park Five. Ann Coulter said she'd come back and talk to us. We let her. We let her take a coffee break. She'd come back and tell us what is the truth of the Central Park Five case. We're not going to want to miss this. Anna are going to have quite the discussion about it. Stay right there. Who are you in the park with? I don't know names. I just got lost. Where did you see the lady? One. One lady. The female jogger was severely beaten and raped. Every black male who was in the park last night is a suspect. I need all of them. What's going on with my son? Your son was involved in a rape in Central Park. What? No, 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 Wait a second, wait a second. They saw you rape the lady. I didn't see a lady or hit anyone. I didn't see any lady. Kevin. I didn't see any lady. I want to see my son right now, right now. Whatever they said, I did. All right, so that's the trailer from this When They See Us a Netflix show that I've been telling you about that I watched that I think is, is an absurdity that is rewriting history. Got somebody who has actually dug into the details of the case, uh, is one of the few people that I know that will openly say that this is all just nonsense and that these guys were actually guilty. I agree with her, but I want to bring her on because at least I'm not the only one. We got Ann Coulter, everybody, author of 14 best-selling books. Uh, she's incredible. You all know that. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Good to be here, Buck Sexton. All righty. Let's just get right to this. Um, have you, First of all, have you seen the Netflix documentary? About, or no, it's not a documentary, a Netflix show. I probably should, but, uh, but I do enough hate watching, watching MSNBC all day. Oh, I, I agree. All right, fair enough. But you, you know what the... What the uh, so I want to run past you some of what the, sto- the talking points are about why these guys are, are innocent. Right? The Central Park Five, they got over $40 million from the city of New York. Everyone's saying things like, okay, let's start with this one, and They've been exonerated by DNA. Why is that not true? Um... It's hard to flash back now to a time when DNA was not 
was well described as a novel science. DNA was just starting to be used in criminal cases. It really didn't come into use until around regular use until 2001. So it was only a year before the Central Park rape took place that DNA was used in the first in the first criminal case in any case in in America. It was a case down in Florida. Um, it, it wasn't enough in the OJ case. New York State didn't have a database. It wasn't. I don't think it was even clear at that point whether it could be used in New York State yet. Um, it was being described as this wacky, radical thing. And you know, I mean, think to yourself: there have been a lot of crimes that were solved before 2001. We may all, you know, <laughs> I, I love forensic files. It's really fun to totally nail somebody who had gotten away with it scot-free before people had before um, they had DNA. But crimes were solved, and in fact, for New Yorkers, there was a crime just a few years before. Remember the preppy murder case? Oh, yeah, Robert Chambers. He actually went to my school. Oh, really? Yeah. For 11. Yes, he murdered her in Central Park after meeting her in Dorian's Red Hand, um, and it was solved in the exact same way. New York City police are very, very good. Um, they, they get a little bit of circumstantial evidence, they present it to the defendant, and the defendant ends up... Uh, confessing. That's exactly what Robert Chambers did. No one has any doubts about his guilt. Um, and the same thing happened with the, with the five Central Park, um, well, convicted and then, quote, exonerated Central Park rapists. There were about 37, um, te- mostly teenagers, mostly under, under the age of 16, um, they, they were on vacation, just as they called it, wilding through Central Park that night. They were, there's, there's, there's no question. And they attacked um, a lot of people, which I think is very, you know, in yeah. that, even in that trailer, every black male in the park is a suspect, that woman says, the actress. But actually, the suspects that they rounded up were people who had attacked numerous people, including putting one yeah. in the hospital, beat him in the head with a pipe, almost killed him. Yeah. Yes, there were, um, I think at least one was knocked unconscious. No, two were knocked unconscious. One ha- um, ended Fractured up skull, yeah. Yeah, ended up with permanent injuries. Um, no one denies that. I mean, even the, the, the um, person in the DA's office, um, uh, Assistant DA Ryan, I forget what her first name was, she was assigned to the case by Robert M- Morgenthau, the, the Manhattan DA. Um, by the way, it is... It is um, pretty well established by by the police and DA's office that Ryan, the one who, quote, wrote the report exonerating the five, hated Linda Fairstein. So of all people in the office to assign this case to, hey, could you look over this case, you know, your arch rivals, (laughs) crowning achievement and see how she did. Anyway, even in her report, um, she totally admitted, yeah, they did all these other crimes in the park. So these kids were running through, there were about 37 of them, they were all brought and there are 911 calls going wild to the police as people are coming out of the park covered in blood, being chased, having rocks thrown at them, and so on and so forth. So the police descend on, on Central Park, arrest a bunch of them. Over the next 24 hours, about 37 are brought in. So for one thing, you have to, you have to wonder, and then just ask them questions and waited to see what they said, who they implicated. And, and slowly it narrowed down, narrowed down. Um, in one case... Um, a policeman, um, I mean, this is all within the law. You're allowed to use a little trickery in questioning a suspect. You don't, you don't have to, everything doesn't have to be the truth. What you can't do, according to the law, is say something to a defendant that would be likely to get an innocent person to confess. Um, so you can't say, um, um, you know, if you confess to this now, just sign on the dotted line, you can go. 
which is, I've seen this alleged by some of the defendant's families that they were promised, oh, but they said they'd be able to go home <laughs> if, if they just admitted to raping and nearly murdering a woman. I don't know why anyone, anyone would think that, but no, there was no evidence that the police said such a thing. There was one policeman who said, I think it was to Raymond Santana, um, said, um, you know, there were, we found fingerprints on the jogger's uh, pants. So if they're yours, you're going down for this rape. That's and a classic. I mean, anyone who's ever watched Law & Order would say, that's what cops do all the time. And I actually work with cops, and they would tell me that's what they would do all the time. Right. It's actually very clever, and it got the desired result. Santana immediately confessed. Now, why would you confess if you weren't involved? Great. Check the fingerprints. They're not going to be mine. <laughs> so that would not lead an innocent person to confess. Incidentally, there well, were. I also, I also found the one who had the had the scratch under his eye, who initially told the detective, and this is all in the court transcripts. Yeah. Told the detective, "Well, your partner did that," and he goes, "Well, I'm going to bring my partner in here." And by the way, why would a cop scratch him with a fingernail under the eye? Right? I'm not saying cops don't ever abuse people, but they don't do the old scratching you under the eye routine that's just bizarre <laughs> well, and then as soon as he said he's going to bring his partner in the guy says yeah like i just grabbed the lady's breast or something like he just said yeah. something crazy yes he had at least three different stories for the scratch on his face first he said it was his cat that did it then he said it was the policeman then they said we're going to bring the policeman in um and see who's telling a more plausible story and eventually he said yeah it was it was the jogger so you know the confessions went the way confessions and these things um, tend to go. They all minimized their own ro- role. They all said they were there. They'd, they'd point to this one or that one doing the raping and just say, I held her legs down. They told many other, many of their friends and acquaintances, who, by the way, um, when they were re-interviewed 13 years later when this allegedly exonerating um, DNA evidence came out, um, most of the rest of it couldn't be tested. There was just this one spot. Um, and, and they always knew that, that one of the rapists had gotten away, that these five weren't all of them. But when they re-interviewed the friends and acquaintances of various of the five, whom they had told, one, one testified that night in the park that one of the five said, we just raped a girl. Another one overheard two of them say, laughing about, we made, it, we made a woman bleed. Um, two of them said, these are witnesses, friends, and acquaintances, that the next day, um, I forget which one it was, Corey Wise maybe, came up to them and said, you heard about that attack in the park last night? That was us. And one of the best ones, I think, <laughs> because it's kind of funny, um, the sister of, of one of the friends, of a friend of one of the five, um, said he called the house, and she, and obviously this was all over the news, he called from Rikers Island, and, and she, you know, yelled at him and said, what are you doing? And he said, um, um, I, I, I didn't do it, I just held her legs down, and then he named another of the five, saying, well, he effed her. I mean, and what the so so people think, and you know this, that you and I are crazy, right? Because this is now this is now finished. They're exonerated. It's 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 like racist to to believe that these guys actually did it. I mean, it's definitely not racist to believe that they were running around beating people almost to death in the park for no reason. But let's just put that aside because that's all admitted and on the record. But beyond that, with this. Uh, there are people that think, what do they say to you? Like, if, if you were to show up, uh, you know, at the, well, I was going to say the Bill Maher show, but, you know, one of these places where everyone's going to go boo and yell and tell you that you're wrong, what's there? Is it just the DNA exoneration? I mean, is this just chanting stupidity in your face? Like, what do they say? Um, I don't know. I mean, you've seen this, this Netflix thing, so I guess that's probably what the uneducated think, think is the truth. 
I mean, um, and just you know, they they cast a, a kid as Richardson, who I've looked at all the mugshots of these guys, and 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 I've I've watched the interrogation and the confessions that you know the videos are out there, people can see them. The kid they cast as Richardson can't be old, older than eleven years old, and is crying the whole time. <laughs> and if you see who these kids, I mean, I'm a six foot tall, two hundred pound male. These five kids who are 15 years old, if they came after me on the reservoir, a part of Central Park that I know very well, I don't think it would have gone well for me. Right. Right. Though I will say something I I mentioned in one of my columns. Um, I I read through all of the confessions. I have a chapter on this in in my book. Um, I think it's... Is it guilty or godless? It's about... It's it's, it's in demonic. Demonic. There we go about um, groupthink and mobs, and here was a physical mob, and then you have the media mob deciding, let's undermine people's faith in the criminal justice system by coming along 13 years later. And instead of, instead of two multi-ethnic juries, oh, and there was a six-week preliminary hearing in this case, six weeks to do nothing but attack the confessions. Um, testimony was put on, parents testified, um, I gather a lot of the, the claims being made, I mean, I, just from that trailer you just played for me, where's my son? Get my son out there. There was only one of, of the five who was ever interrogated without a parent or, or adult guardian present, and that was, I forget which one he gave, I think maybe in Santana, he gave them the, the, the cops a fake ID and claimed he was 16. Well, okay, he can be questioned without, under the law, he can be questioned without a parent. Um, he wasn't questioned very long before his mother showed up and said, no, he's just 15. Instantly, the interrogation stopped. All further interrogation went forward with a parent present. So not one of them confessed without being in the presence of a parent. What I was about to say was, having read through the confessions and, and everything being written down and what was going on, um, what 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 kind of is particularly depressing about this is that some of them, not all of them, but some of them had really lovely parents who came to their sons and said, tell the truth and face the consequences. And, and, and you know, would criticize their sons. One father came out, I forget um, which son came out after, um, talked to the cops, went back in and talked to his son, saying, Look, the cops don't believe you, and neither do I. Just tell the truth. So what I found interesting about this was I, I do think some of them probably, I mean, I haven't been a 13-year-old boy, but they have raging hormones. They're in a group. I was in the middle of writing a book about group behavior and, and how mobs behave. And people will do things in a mob that they would never do, never do on their own. They, they each, because they were juveniles, they each only served about five years. Um, they could have taken the consequences and emerged better and, and, and have learned from their parents who told them, tell the truth. But no, then these lefties in the media come forward and say, no, just lie about oh, it. Oh, and you've got to see the Netflix thing. They actually have a detective take one of the parents out in the hallway and say, tell your kid to lie, basically, or else we're going to talk about your criminal record with your boss and get you fired from your job. That actually happens in the, in the show. Like, oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> it's true. And this whole thing is just a fantasy. It's outrageous. I mean, are you at... You know, are you at OJ level guilt certainty with the Central Park Five? At what level certainty? OJ. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's... I agree with the multi-ethnic juries, the judges, 
and the appellate courts that repeatedly <laughs> found them guilty and upheld it. This is all just a media mob and an aging... Uh, by the way, um, Mayor Bloomberg isn't exactly, you know, my brand of right-wing conservative. Um, he crossed his arms and the entire time he was in office um, refused to settle with them, saying, nope, let's take it to trial, because the city attorney said, we're going to win this at trial. We are absolutely going to win this. It was one of... It was the giveaway, the $40 million giveaway that, that New Yorkers are paying for here, that was just for de Blasio to get the black vote. Yeah, that's all true. All right, everybody. Ann Coulter, four, uh, 13 bestsellers, 14 probably on the way. Any, any hints, Ann? Anything going on? Not at the moment. Not I think <laughs> we're doomed. <laughs> Ann's enjoying life until we're doomed. But uh, Ann Coulter, thank you so much. Thank you. This is actually a co- an economy that's hurting small businesses and not allowing them to compete. We've had an industrial policy in the United States for decades now, and it's basically been let giant corporations do whatever they do. Giant corporations have exactly one loyalty, and that is to profits. For all the American citizens out there who feel you're falling behind, who feel the American dream's not working for you, the immigrants didn't do that to you. The big corporations did that to you. Ah, yes. So much of the demagoguery that we see from Democrats in politics around this issue of big corporations. Is it so funny? You think of big corporations and what comes to mind? Oh, I don't know. Facebook, Google, GE, Comcast. You can go on this list. All run by libs. All corporate culture. Goldman Sachs, very liberal in its corporate culture now, very PC and progressive and you know, all about, you know, increasing transgender hiring quotas and all this stuff. I mean, this is but but big corporations, I would say, are the bad guys. You never dig into well, which which corporations. Oh, OK. So, so the, the Coke industries, they think is bad. Anything else they think is bad? What companies are so, are so hated? I mean, the companies that are providing services and products for people that make their lives easier and better. You know, it, it is the capitalist impulse that has brought so much prosperity to this country. But. And I, I couldn't believe this, Mike. There was, uh, you know, Eric Bowling, who I see a fair amount down in D.C. We, we both we hang out at the Trump International Hotel and, you know, we might go a little shot for shot on the tequila drinking. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. I can neither confirm nor deny. But, you know, Eric's Eric's a nice guy. And he was down in Florida. And one of the Young Turks correspondents. Right. Yeah. Uh, could you see this? Kasparian. No. It's uh, it. her name's Anna, and she started she started saying that so that Venezuela it's not even that Venezuela is not representative of socialism. Right. Her line is that it's not socialism that caused the problems in Venezuela. Right. Up. They, they, they will never learn. They they actively make sure that they will never learn. Yeah. Never gets better. Yeah. Never improves. They still want to cling to this fiction. Insane, dude. Socialism. Socialism doesn't work, folks. And if you're listening to the show, you know that. But socialism is a bad idea. There you go. That's the lesson of the day. Socialism. Yeah, it's a bad idea. All right, we got a big hour three coming up here in just a moment. We're talking Iran. We're talking about women's equality in pay when it comes to soccer. Stay with me. Women's soccer and the fight for equal pay. Oh, my. Here we go. So the Women's World Cup is going on. I know this is soccer, and I'm guessing if I were to to do a poll of this audience, I think about five percent of the audience might care about the Women's World Cup. I I think that's I could be wrong. It could be four percent, but it's it's definitely not a lot of the. But the, the women's national team 
has decided to make itself very political, right? They've sued the national, uh, what, they sued the U.S. Soccer Federation, whatever it's called, for equal pay. And as, as, I, as I like to tell everyone, they're not really looking for equal pay because equal pay would be getting remunerated uh, based upon the ability you have to generate money. And that's not what's happening here because they are being paid based on their ability to generate money through ratings and sponsorships. They want to be paid more for the same, for a lesser amount of eyeballs. They want to be paid more than they should for a lesser viewing numbers than what men get paid for the same for the exact same activity, which is soccer, which is a sport. We all know the rules. But now there's some controversy here. You have uh, producer Mike. How do we say it? Megan Rep. Rapino. Rapino. Yes, Megan Rapino. Megan Rapino. Uh, see, Mike is a real American, so he he knows sports, and because he has to work on a new show, he even knows women's soccer a little bit. Congrats, yeah. sir. Yeah. Um, and so, what, what, what she said something. She said something mean about because I think everyone thinks the women are going to win the World Cup. They they beat they beat Thailand like seventy five to zero or something crazy. Everyone's like, oh, because there might be a goal differential at the end. I I, I think they could have stopped before they got to double digits. I'll be honest with you. You know that, that it wasn't really necessary to do that. But uh, here you go. She said. We bleep this out, right? Because she needed to be bleeped. Yes, we did. Naughty, naughty mouth. Uh, she said this play. This is this is women's World Cup player, U.S. national player Megan Rapino. Play eighteen. Are you excited about um, going to the White House? <laughs> I'm not going to the White House. <laughs> no, I'm not going to the White House. That's okay. we're not going to be invited. You're not going to be invited. I doubt it. She says she won't be invited. She obviously cursed there and. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some some w- wilted flower or something uh, because she cursed. I mean, people curse even occasionally. Even I use salty language in, in private, which people who know me know. But she has apologized for the the potty mouth, but not for the sentiment that the women's team should not go or that at least she would not go to the uh, world. She would not go to the White House if they win the World Cup. What did. Trump, I'm sure, said he said something about this, right? He tweeted at her and said, hold on a second. Here we go. Trump said, uh, Bruce and Mike, do we know what he said about Rapino? Probably something about how they should focus on winning, I think, right? Something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what he said. but It was something like that. He's like it was on his radar and he fired back at him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's the equivalent of Trump saying, "Okay, here we go. Women's soccer player. M. Pino just stated, this is Trump's Twitter, that she's not going to the effing White House if we win, other than the NBA, which now refuses to call owners owners. Please explain that. I just got criminal justice reform passed. Black unemployment is at the lowest in our country's history, and the poverty index is also best number ever. Leagues and teams love coming to the White House. I'm a big fan of the American team and women's soccer, but Megan should win first before she talks. Finish the job. We haven't yet invited Megan to the team, but I'm now inviting the team win or lose. Ooh, calling her bluff. Look at this. Megan should never disrespect our country, the White House, or our flag, especially since so much has been done for her and the team. Be proud of the flag you wear. The U.S. is doing great. Mike, how'd she get on the radar? She was like a, <laughs> is she, she's like the Kaepernick of soccer, right? I, it sounds like it. Yeah, I don't know too much about her, but she's, that seems to be the vocal leader of that team. And I love how she said right there, like how Trump said those things. I bet you if you get, ask her what her top 10 things, all the problems that she has as whatever they are, that Trump has already fixed them. I, I, I just, guarantee it. He fixes all the problems that Democrats are now complaining about, and they still 
yeah, hate him. Here's what she said after the Trump tweet. Play 19. I stand by the comments that I made about not wanting to go to the White House. But I think obviously entering um, with a lot of passion, considering how much you know, time and effort and pride we take in the platform um, that we have and using it for good and for leaving the game in a better place and hopefully the world in a better place. Um, I don't think that I would want to go and um, I would encourage my teammates to think hard about lending that platform or having that co-opted um, by an administration that doesn't feel the same way and doesn't fight for the same things that that we fight for. So I'll just leave it at that. Look, she's perfectly within her rights to not go. Okay, she's perfectly within her rights to decide she doesn't want to go to the White House. That's fine. You know, this is not despite what the libs say, America has not turned into a fascist state because of Trump. And, you know, we're not all everyone's not going to be marched off into uh, into camps or anything. I mean, as crazy as they are, we do still have the First Amendment. She doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to go. But I can also under that same First Amendment say just what an ungrateful punk. And, And this is part of a of a broader issue that you see. And you've been seeing it for years now in sports. Finally, I think, Mike, didn't ESPN start to say, you know, maybe we should just do sports and not have people doing political commentary. Didn't that happen recently? Yeah, they actually have a new CEO there now. Their old guy got busted for doing coke or something. They kicked him out. New guy came in and was like, cut out the political stuff. Let's get back to sports. And they sort of have seemed to turn a little bit of a corner, but I still don't watch them. I think all this is really important. I think that having places where Americans can share in what's going on, enjoy something, and put the politics aside. I think it's really an important part of civil society. I I think this is, you know, we're just going to be at each other's throats if we can't have, and, you know, social media is just, if we we can't have some safe, oh gosh, I was going to say safe spaces. Spaces safe from politics. How about that? Safe spaces. Buck, do you want a safe space? Do you want a blankie? I want a blankie. Uh, I want a bottle. So, you know, there it is. Uh, we'll have to see. And that's what that's what bothering me. There's just nothing that you can ever turn on now on the TV and think, oh, this will be free of. I feel like the we- well, no, the Weather Channel's even got politics because of climate change stuff. We never can get free of it now. And the women's national team. Look, I'm I'm all about America. So any national team, it can be the national shuffleboard team. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Go wreck, go wreck those foreign fools. Like, go do your thing. And I want to cheer loudly for the um, women's national soccer team. But two things. I think, they're a li- I think they're a little bratty with the whole equal pay thing because it's not equal pay. They want unequal pay. If the ratings were higher, they'd get paid more money. This is a business. Yeah. You know, this is not, this is not about fairness. You know, I played I played high school soccer. Yeah. Should I have been paid a million dollars a year because I played soccer and other people play soccer and they make a lot of money? No, because there were like 15 parents at my soccer games. Yeah. Does not justify the revenue that, yeah, you see what I'm saying. Yeah, on your point on that, Buck, I'm just looking at some uh, data here. And their, their, their numbers actually for this World Cup are, are slightly up from the last World Cup, but they really have a problem between World Cups on getting any eyeballs at all. But on it says here, this is from the AP, a recent match in Italy drew 40,000 fans lured partly by free tickets. So they got to give tickets away to get people to go. Yeah, not not good. Not good, folks. So everything is political, which is annoying, and women claiming they want equal pay when they actually want a better deal. They want unequal pay. I also find that pretty annoying. And and here we are. You know, we've got the President of the United States, instead of being able to just root for this national team like we all want to, he's got to deal with her saying she wouldn't go to the White House or whatever. You know, just... Check yourself before you wreck yourself.
sometimes some of these 90s phrases really come come in handy. Um, and I, I just wish that there would be a, you know, this is true. So many entertainers now and all these people, because of social media, they all think they have to be woke and they, they, they feel this pressure or really this. I don't even think it's pressure a lot of time. I think it's just they can't help themselves because they're narcissistic, that they need to be involved in political discussions. But a lot of people that are famous are also idiots, at least when it comes to politics. And they should probably just keep to themselves. And what is it? You know, just shut up and sing, I think people say. That would be nice. In this case, be quiet and play some soccer. We'll be right back. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. I'm not looking for war. And if there is, it'll be obliteration like you've never seen before. But I'm not looking to do that. But you can't have a nuclear weapon. If you want to talk about it, good. Otherwise, you can live in a shattered economy for a long time to come. President Trump pretty clear on what's acceptable to him when when we're talking about Iran and nukes. And let's see how we're doing with this whole process. We got Daniel Hoffman with us now. He is uh, formally... Uh, with the CIA. Daniel is a counterterrorism expert, national security expert. Daniel, thank you so much for joining. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Also a Fox News contributor, so i got to throw that in there as well. So, Daniel, how is Trump doing right now? There, there seemed to be this heightened sense that maybe we were right on the precipice of a, let's say, a military exchange, because people get very testy about the term war when we're looking at this issue. But how do, how do you see where we are and what the president should do from here? Well, let's start with this. The president saw that the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA, was extraordinarily flawed, and it was. Not even many Democrats, including Senator Chuck Schumer, supported it, and that's why it never became a treaty. And so we implemented a maximum sanctions uh, economic pressure campaign designed to bring Iran back to the negotiating table so that we could deal with the three, I would say, key issues. The fact that there were sunset clauses on Iran's development of a nuclear capability, their ballistic missile program, and then them serving as a state sponsor of terrorism. And the, the sanctions have really caused Iran's economy to go into freefall. Their currency is not worth much of anything. They're earning, you know, 40% less of their budget uh, in terms of the oil revenues. Uh, we're crushing them, and they know it. And that's why they've lashed out with attempt to blackmail us with nuclear blackmail, where they've threatened to enrich uranium to weapons-grade levels starting July 8th if they don't receive sanctions relief. That's why they mounted those attacks on the, on the tankers in the Gulf, uh, among other things. Now, I say all that as background because Iran hasn't taken it to the level where they know we would have to respond with kinetic action. We got close when they shot down our drone, but they also did not target our manned surveillance aircraft. They haven't targeted U.S. ships in the Gulf and put our servicemen and women at risk. So they know there's a little bit of rules of engagement that we're fashioning out with the Iranians. Um, but they are demanding that we return to the flawed JCPOA as a precondition for negotiation. So where we're at right now, we're not going to stop the sanctions at all. We're going to continue to press ahead with those. Iran is trying to get some sanctions relief, and we're seeing a little bit of back and forth on um, on how we deal with that. And the, the president, in my view, did the right thing by showing restraint and not responding with kinetic action. 
and rather reportedly with a cyber strike, a, a precision one at those same facilities that didn't risk or cause any collateral damage to personnel, and then increase sanctions on the Iranian uh, regime. What has to happen? And, wait, can I just ask you, Daniel? I mean, what has to happen for the the, the decision making process inside of Iran t- to finally switch to okay, we'll we'll play ball in a way that would be even just in the opening stages acceptable to the Trump administration. But some of the lower-level Iranian officials have indicated a willingness to begin negotiations with the United States. Uh, I think there's going to have to be a little bit of faith-saving for the Iranians to come to the table. Um, would, the, would the Trump administration, for example, lighten up on certain sanctions? You know, we've, we've piled on to the Supreme Leader and the IRGC, among others. Uh, would we remove a little bit of sanctions that don't really um, impact Iran's economy quite that much, but give Iranian, the Iranian regime a face-saving way to get back to the negotiating table? Maybe. What Iran has done is given us the opportunity to get closer with our European allies who have to appreciate that we have shown restraint and didn't take Iran's bait to respond with a kinetic attack that might have divided us. President Trump is obviously going to get a lot of heat going forward for sticking to his, his guns on this. And where do you think Republicans uh, in the Congress really are on this? Do you, do you get the sense that there are some that are getting weak in the knees or they're they pretty unified on keeping Iran's feet to the fire? Yeah, well, I'd like to see Republicans and Democrats together with a bipartisan consensus on what we need to do in national security. Um, unfortunately, we don't see that as often as we used to or as we should. I think there was a, a, a there were many Republicans who felt like we needed to hold Iran accountable for shooting down our drone and accountable with a military counterstrike. Uh, but I also think that the president's restraint and the follow-up cyber strike and sanctions have probably mollified those who disagreed with the the lack of a kinetic response for now. Uh, but it's clear that we have, I think, that much more strength behind a kinetic response if and when we do get there. What's the worst-case scenario in your mind? We're speaking to Daniel Hoffman, everybody's former senior CIA officer and uh, also Fox News contributor. Uh, Daniel, what's the worst-case scenario if, if the Iranians decide to really push really push it with us? I mean, how far do you think they'd be willing to go? Would, would they sink an oil tanker? Would they actually go for it? Well, look, there's a couple of red lines here that I think we need to be cognizant of. The first one is if Iran enriches uranium to weapons-grade levels. I'm less concerned about them stockpiling low-grade uranium. They've done that. I think they've reached the limit established at JCPOA. But enriching uranium to weapons-grade levels is of grave concern to, to us as well as our allies, starting with Israel, not to mention Saudi Arabia, among others. Secondly would be, as you point out, a kinetic strike against a U.S. tanker where servicemen and women are not only put at risk but may be killed. Uh, then there's going to be a response. And the president has been clear, and General David Petraeus, an outside observer who knows quite a lot about war fighting, has said to the Iranians, among to all of us, has said, look, don't take this administration, the Trump administration, lightly. When they say that they, the president says he means he's going to respond, he's going to respond. Um, and so I think the concern for me, neither country wants a war. That wouldn't be in our interest. We're going back and forth over leverage, get trying to seek out and gain leverage in advance or in anticipation of negotiations, and that process is dicey at times. But 
we need at all costs, I think, to avoid war. But the Iranians are in a tough place right now. We've got our boots on their throats even more than we ever had in the Obama administration. And I felt we, we took our boot off their throat then precipitously. We should have waited. If they enrich the uranium up to, if they go from the 3 to the 20%, then we know it's a pretty fast jump to get up to 90. If, if, if they go beyond the parameters of the, the deal, which now we're not still in, but we know what the parameters are that are acceptable to us, regardless of whether we're in the, uh, the you know, J, JCPOA, uh, should we strike the reactors? Is that the move? Well, I'll tell you what we need to do before that is have serious discussions with our allies and agree on that as a red line and then discuss a variety of options we would want to take with our allies. I think it's important that we bring in European allies. Look, Russia was a Trojan horse in the JCPOA. They were involved, but my goodness, they certainly don't have our best interests at heart. At the very least, we need to be lockstep with our European allies, the U.K. in particular, on that. Um, And we also need to get a back-channel message to the Iranians, rules of engagement. Warn them, if you enrich uranium to weapons-grade levels, we will respond uh, accordingly. We don't have to tell them how we're going to respond, but we need to let them know that we're going to respond. And we could be very public about that. In other words, the administration could tell the Iranians and then could, as every administration has has, has been known to do, just inform our, our media that this is what has been said. This is what has transpired so that the world knows that if Iran does this, they're going to face a response. And it's not going to be a cyber attack launched at, you know, a facility. It might, it's going to be something quite different. Daniel Hoffman, everybody. Daniel, thank you so much, man, for joining us. I appreciate your expertise. Always a pleasure. Look forward to next time. All right, team, we'll hit a quick break. We'll be back with Roll Call. All your thoughts, all the things, all the good things in just a moment. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. The Roll Call. You know what this is. It's the latter part of the show where I read messages from you, react to them, and then we all just have a little chat, have a little talk. I'm up in NYC for the weekend, seeing the fam, checking out the sites, come out to the coast, have a few laughs. The East Coast, that is. Not the West Coast. Not today. So, indeed. Nice little ride on the Acela of today. Although I, I don't understand why people think they have to yell into their cell phones. The cell phone technology has gotten pretty good, folks. You, you, as you all know, I'm sure, you can just talk into your phone. Hey, Bob, you got the thing from the guy? You get the thing from the guy? Can you hear me? We could all hear you all across the entirety of this train car, sir. We can all hear you. We are really now all being forced to be a part of that conversation. I, I happen to sit behind a guy who was one of these, he's on a train for three hours, and his first thought is, it's a great time to make loud phone calls for three hours. Whew, man. It's, some days you win, you know. Some days some days you get the bull, some days the bull gets you, Mark. You know what I mean? That's Today. why you ride the quiet car. It was full. I'm not a savage. No. I know about the quiet car. It was full. Oh, people suck. Ugh, what can you do? I should have offered someone a bribe to get out of the quiet car. Be like, I will bring you one of those 
$4 granola bars that they sell in the cafe car. You know, I could have probably figured something out, a little bit of bartering. Cam Newton offered somebody $1,500 to move from a first-class seat from Paris to wherever he was going. They said no. It was like last week this happened. 1500 bucks. I mean, a first-class seat can run you a few grand. I don't think 1500 bucks is going to – that's not going to cut it, my friend. That's an extra 1500 just to, to move seats. I mean, it's a long flight, though. It's a long flight. I guess if you can afford first class, yeah. you don't need that money. Yeah, you know. we got to think like the 1% here, Mark. You know, we got to imagine ourselves. That's, that's fun. Uh, all right, let's get into this. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Steven up first. Hey, Buck, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for your radio show. It keeps me safe and warm at night. Best message all week, Steven. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, my friend. I do appreciate it. I know I asked for that message, but you came through in the clutch. That's what really matters. I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for your radio show. It keeps me safe and warm at night. How can a message on Facebook get any better than that? Kristen, so glad to hear you interviewing the creator of Parlor. It deserves our attention, and hopefully more and more will be moving there, and this will end the monopoly that Twitter has had. Uh, yeah, Kristen, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I would really like to see. Remember, it's not that we need a conservative social media app. It's that we need a neutral social media app. I, I think a neutral one is achievable or at least something pretty close to neutral, something neutral enough that we would want to, uh, you know, we'd want to see, we'd want to go for it. I think that that's very possible, but we'll see. Uh, Let's see here. Brian. Hey, Buck, did you notice early on in the debate how the moderator worked Warren's name into a question to another candidate just to give her a chance to respond with another prepared speech? Gee, I wonder how this primary is going to go. I think she has been their intended recipient of the nomination from the start. I think it'll be interesting to see if Bernie speaks out against the DNC's obvious meddling with superdelegates this time around uh, how he lacked the backbone and personal integrity to do against Clinton. I think it's unlikely that Warren wins in a general election, but Bernie could mess things up for her a little bit more. Either way, it's still early. And she shouldn't be dismissed as a serious threat. Now my, uh, well, where is this? My friend uh, Jesse Kelly had a great, had a great line about uh, Warren today. Let me see if I can pull it up for you. Where do you, where do you go? Oh, gosh. You know, Jesse is spelled so many different ways now. Well, it's spelled two different ways. Here you go. This was Jesse a few hours ago. Elizabeth Warren is a much better candidate than I gave her credit for. She survived the worst campaign rollout in the history of America and the personality of a hyena, and she's gaining on Biden fast. It's impressive. She's going to get crushed by Trump, but still impressive. I think that's very accurate. I think that's very apt. Uh, that's, that's, that's pretty true that she is somebody who, despite all the obstacles that she has created for herself, she seems to be able to just keep on moving along. Really astonishing. Glenn writes, I was happy to hear you interview the founder of Parlor on your show. I found his views for the future interesting. I remember when I suggested it to you that you weren't sure whether I even spelled it correctly. Hope you see that the venue more, uh, hope you will use that venue more and will definitely follow you when and if you do. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, well, Glenn, thank you, my man. And uh, yes, you, wait, you did tell me to download Parlor, didn't you? 
Wasn't this? Uh, yeah. Oh, P.S. Have you? This is what Glenn wrote on May 31st, 2019. Have you heard of Parler, the free speech alternative to Twitter? Should get someone from there on to promote your program. See, Glenn? Boom. I'm in the customer service business, my man. And if you want me to, you know, do this stuff, I do it here on the show. Yeah. Mark Ing Bird Ing. Do you still do you still remember Dumb and Dumber, Mark? Of course. All right, just making sure. I'm not that young. That's right. And I, you know, you defy age categorization, and I, I, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. You know, you could tell me, you're a millennial, aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. You're, you're, those, you're an older millennial, but I'm a younger. Yeah, one. yeah. You're one of those young whippersnapper millennials. You know, all oh look at me, T Swift and Ariana Grande and stuff. Please. I've been told a, a bouncer once told me that I looked 15. He didn't think my ID was real. Oh, really? People tell me that still all the time. They don't say 15. Now they say, like, late 20s or something. The beard helps. There we go. Exactly. Zach. Hey, Buck. I love you. You're amazing. Thanks for the radio show. It keeps me safe and warm at night. All right. We got another one in here. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> that should be... I want to, like, put this on my on my show page, you know? This is... These are the comments that I'm getting from the audience that my show keeps them safe and warm at night. We don't have to tell anybody that I asked them to say this. Uh, all right. Somebody wrote something that's not for on air, so I will skip that. Brian, hey, Buck, heard you ask for someone to write in. They love your show. I love your show. Keeps me safe and warm. All right. Thank you, Brian. We're getting a lot. I'm going to stop reading all these. We got a lot of these, which I appreciate. Thank you, everybody. Very, very nice. Uh, let's see here. Kelly, if I turn on the debates right now, will I see a donkey mascot shooting rolls of $100 bills out of t shirt cannons into the audience? That might be the only reason to watch. Well, Kelly, metaphorically speaking, I believe that is more or less what you would have seen had you watched the debate last night. Kelly continued on. I'll just stick with the lowlights and recaps. Being on the West Coast makes primetime things hard to catch. Hmm. Oh, there we have it. Um, yeah, that was my, that's the one problem I have in L.A. is I, when I wake, when my alarm goes off and I wake up at 7, 7.30 in the morning, um, it's really a lot of stuff has already happened on the East Coast. So if you're in the news business, I think that can be kind of tough. Uh, let's see here. David, is the social media site you've been talking about Parler or Parle- Parlay? Well, David, it's spelled Parler, I believe, P-A-R-L-E-R, which technically, uh, uh, if you are somebody who parlez-vous français, you would say Parlay. Mais oui, bien sûr, je parle français parce que... Je voudrais parler en anglais, blah, 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 French, French, French. Yeah, parler. Uh, that's, that's what it is. Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R. You know what? I'm actually, team, I'm going to download this thing right now. I'm going to download it right now. So that way I can talk to you more about it as we get going here. Unless they kick it out of the app. Let's see what we got here. Parler. I got it. Downloading it. Good to go. Hopefully this isn't some plot by the Illuminati or the Russians or something. But that Parler is now being downloaded onto my phone. I got it. All right. I do want to do. Uh, let's see here. Al. Call me Al. Buck, haven't heard your entire show yet, but on the illegal crossers drowning in the Rio Grande, how'd they get to the other side if they drowned? Bodies sink and eventually rise when bloating, Maybe. Seems to me they were drugged there by somebody kind of timely and suspicious with a border bill funding in uh, process. I, you know, Al, I don't know much about 
crime scene stuff. So I think you're correct that bodies first sink and then get bloated and then rise to the surface. But wouldn't that then I don't know why that would mean that somebody staged this, if that's what you're saying. Clearly, these two people die. That's very, very sad. But what I mean is, is there um, any reason to believe that somebody changed this? change the position of the bodies or try to do that. And I don't see that, but I am open to suggestion. I'm open to whatever you've got for me to to learn about. So I'm sure in this audience, we probably have somebody who's like a world-class homicide investigator or forensics investigator. We always, whenever I need real insight on something, I can always say, hey, team, who among you is a world-class astrophysicist who can answer this question? I usually have that person sending me a note within 24 hours, which is great. It's kind of fun. I really should crowdsource everything. Be like, hey, guys, so I think I need to invest some money from my 401k. I'm just wondering if what you think of this idea. Uh, let's see here. James, you seem to overlook the Dems' end game for illegal immigrants is a future voter base, period. Well, James, um, you seem to overlook that I've said that on this show probably 100 times. Maybe more than that. So I don't know why you think I'm overlooking it. I think what needs to happen here, James, who we share we share our first name, so that's kind of cool, is that you just need to listen to the Buck Sexton show more, my friend, and then all will be well in the world. So I guess we got that going for us, which is nice. We got more roll call. Stay right there. Angela continues our roll call phenomenon. I just realized it's Thursday, and I just did a double roll call. I, you know what? I'm going to tell you guys something right now. I actually thought it was Friday because I'm in New York City, and I'm usually here on Fridays. So I'm completely, Mike, I was going to ask you what your weekend plans were, but it's a little early. You know, we're jumping the gun a little bit. you got to show up for work tomorrow, buddy. All right? I'll be here. Yeah, that doesn't no. mean I don't have weekend plans. Where's Cash, by the way? Have you going to bring him in sometime? Yeah, I should. He's probably uh, peeing all over my apartment right now. Right. Well, bring him in the studio. Let yeah. him pee all over the studio. Sweet. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. We'll get him in here. That's fine. So, all right. Angela writes, got a Democrat debate gambling game. Four teams, red, blue, green, gold. Each team has the exact same amount of cash. Team with the most cash wins, and you can opt to buy in. Teams have keywords. Gold trashing Americans and Republicans. Red trashing President Trump. Blue, free, green, climate change. Oh, blue is free, and green is climate change. Very creative, Angela. Thank you for writing in. Uh, Matthew. Just a thought, Buck, but what if the Obamas are behind the Central Park Five documentary? They've been paid millions to develop programming for Netflix. What if this is just the first of many documentaries trying to change history and convince the American people that we are racist for enforcing the law equally? Well, Matthew, the efforts to change the Central Park Five, uh, to, to change the narrative around this, this, these have been going on for a long time. Uh, this is not new. So the Netflix documentary is just the most recent version of trying to rewrite this history but it's been going on there was a ken burns documentary before there's there's plenty of this stuff going on out there so yeah uh that's something that's that's very real and that's why i I focus in on this one and as somebody who as i've told you grew up next to central park lived in new york city and then went on to work as a civilian contractor for the nypd in the counterterrorism side of the house but still had a lot of exposure to the detectives and to the sergeants and all the stuff that they're doing. I just I think it's I think it's important we get this story right. I don't think it's our I don't think it's OK to make this up as people wish it had been. And I'm, I'm not all right with that. I'm not going to sign on for that one. Got problems with that. All right. Here we go. Uh, 
let's see. Brandon writes, Buck, how's Miss Molly? I thought it was awesome that Dan Bongino gave you some props on her show recently. Oh, well, um, Brandon, thank you for writing in, man. Unfortunately, Miss Molly and I split a little while ago. I hope she's doing well. She's a wonderful woman and deserves a very long, happy, wonderful life. Um, as to Dan Bongino, I, uh, yeah, no, I remember that. That was a little while back. I think I might have read a, a slightly older message here, but that's okay. That's all right. Thank you, Brandon, nonetheless, for writing in. See, we have so many messages, I can't keep it all, I can't keep it all straight. Uh, Rena writes, Buck, you don't have a mid-June cold. You have the dreaded allergy-induced cold symptoms. Zyrtec, Flonase, all that. Mucinex is good to keep the sinus lungs from getting clogged, which will increase the chance of a bacterial infection. No, Rena, trust me, I had a cold. It was a cold cold with, like, super swollen glands and coughing up stuff that looked like it was going to crawl off the table. I know, that was disgusting. I hope none of you are eating. I'm sorry. Producer Mike, you don't have any food there, do you? That was gross. I do not. I feel, you know, it's really like something from Teenage Mutant Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Secret of the Ooze. <laughs> the Secret of the Ooze was whatever I was coughing up. Okay, yeah. that's so gross. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop. All right. Uh, have too much fun at the Trump Hotel, Buck. You got to stop that. I do. The Trump Hotel, things get, it gets lit over there. Lit AT, as the kids say. Lit as Trump. Uh, let's see here. Linda, on the whole Hunter Biden corruption issue, have your spiffy team investigate John Kerry's stepson, who was supposedly involved at the same time as Hunter Biden. I love the beard. Shields high. Well, thank you, Linda. You know, a young woman texted me today and said, you know what today is? And this is a friend, not a, not a, not a romantic interest per se, maybe. Uh, and she texted me and she said, uh, you know what today is? And I, and I responded, what? And she goes, it's a great day to shave your beard. Smile, smile, heart, heart. And I'm like, really? It's going to be like that? That's, that's, that's sort of funny, though. Yeah, well, it was very funny. I mean, I, I laughed. But I was like, damn, she's not, not on board for the beard. We'll see. It's, it's a little chick. Dude, Mike, Mike's beard, producer Mike's beard is great. We got to do more photos and stuff in here. Yeah. Uh, my mom's not listening because she would agree with her. Uh, my mom would say that every day, too. Oh, my mom's a clean-shaven lady, oh, yeah. too. She likes the clean-shaven She man. looks at my she's, face. She goes, you look old. Yeah, I, I just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, you know, beards are in. The truth is that beards are in right now. I mean, that's just, I did this because of laziness, and then I just sort of went with it. But, but wait, Mark, let me see your face. Exactly how mine started, laziness. You were totally, you were, you were clean-shaven like a, like I, a, No, I just can't grow a beard. Like a baby's feet. Yeah. You got nothing. It looks like. Hair that would not be growing on your face. I'm not going to say what it actually looks like. Cause that's oh, disgusting. wow. All right. Yes. Radio. Yeah. Family show. Exactly. Um, well, anyhow, Producer Mike, look. You're the spiffy team. Look into John Kerry's stepson. I don't even know. Who this, I've never even heard of this guy. Yeah. Just he's probably a, probably a DB is my guess. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know what else to say. All right, team. Here in New York, I'm going to go out tonight and get into a little bit of trouble. It's going to be fun. You have your orders, which are to enjoy yourselves, listen to the show, and uh, tell some people about it. Talk to you tomorrow from the Freedom Up NYC Shield High.